We're making our way through the Old Testament. We have studied a lot of names, many names of people who have been examples to us in the faith. So I thought it would be appropriate to start this morning with a review game so that you can remember some of the greats that we have covered. Here's the way the review game is going to go. We're going to put a list of names of people we've studied up on the board. And your job is, I'm going to give you a minute, your job is to write the names in order that they lived in history. Not necessarily the order that they appear in the Bible, but the order that they lived in history to get a sense of how God's plan unfolded through time. All right, so get your pen ready. Get your pen ready. Use your bulletin. Okay, here's the list of names. They're not in order, uh, and we're going to give you one minute. Go ahead and start writing. We're even going to play some cheesy game show music for you to inspire you as you do this. Go ahead, start writing. Start writing. down. All right, here comes the answers. The real slide listed from left to the bottom and then right to the bottom. Here we go. Adam and Eve were first. If you got Adam and Eve wrong, just leave. Just get up. What have I been teaching you? (laughs) In the garden, of course, God made a, a proclamation to Adam and Eve that somehow the head of evil would be crushed and it would be by a man. Humanity would be the answer to somehow topple evil, but we just didn't know how. Then in Noah's day, God showed that he really meant it when he said that there would be um, wrath coming on the world. And he flooded the earth, but then he made a covenant with Noah saying that I will hold back my wrath now, which gives us hope that God is holding back his judgment on this world right now. Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham and said, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So not only is there God's wrath being held back in Noah's day, now there's the promise of a worldwide blessing that's going to come through one of Abraham's offspring. And then Joseph led the nation into Egypt. Moses brought this promised nation out of Egypt. And then Samson was one of the early judge, or one of the judges. King David kind of got the nation established. Then the prophets came about in Elijah's day. Um, God told David that he would have a man to, seat on, to sit on the throne forever. Forever. There would be a messianic king who would come to rule Egypt the world forever. In Elijah's day, he told the people that if you don't shape up and follow the covenant, you're going to be booted out of the promised land. And now we arrive in Daniel's day. And in Daniel's day, the nation had already started being exiled because of their unfaithfulness. How many got them all right? Raise up your hand if you got them all right. All right. Congratulations. Somebody pat them on the back. Pat them on the back. Nice job. Don't get proud. Pharisee, don't get proud. (laughs) We're proud of you. We've arrived here in Daniel's day. Last week in Jeremiah's day, we learned that the people were unfaithful to the covenant. And as God promised, 
he began exiling them for their unfaithfulness. Daniel represents one of the first groups of exiles, along with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that in 605 B.C. were kicked out of uh, the Promised Land and brought into captivity in Babylon. Um, One of the most famous stories in all of Scripture is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where we're going this morning, but here's the one question I have for you before we get there. Listen. When you suffer persecution for your faith, will your faith shine brighter? When you're thrown into the fiery furnace and harassed and ridiculed and heckled because of your convictions, will your faith shine brighter? Father in heaven, we believe that you have appointed every one of your followers to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors, to be your delivery plan for the best news in the world. And yet those who we talk to are against us and frequently oppose us. How do we react? How do we endure it? Show us what faith looks like in the fire through these men today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Bible's open to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Don't don't be too ashamed to look in the table of contents if you want to find the book faster. (laughs) You may be looking for a long way in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 3. And as you turn there, let me give you a little background uh, of where we're situated here in the scripture. Babylon is a city located about 50 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. It's an amazing city, and it had an impressive king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was building his kingdom at this time, consolidating a rule over, over uh, a kingdom that stretched uh, all across the known world. There would be greater kingdoms ap- after it, but this is one of the greatest kingdoms that ever came on the planet. Here's a picture of what an artist thought Babylon may have looked like, the city. It was on the Euphrates River, uh, and, and look at the massive uh, walls that surrounded the city. Uh, it was a fortified city that could not be breached. Um, there could be several chariots up on top of the walls riding at full speed. They could turn around, and it was, it was a fortress, and it was a, a giant metropolitan area. This is another artist's rendition of what the city may have looked like. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful, um, and it represented uh, basically the capital of the world at the time. This is where Daniel and his friends arrived. After their land, Jerusalem, Israel, was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And they were brought to this land forcefully, and they were hand-selected as the best of the best, as young men, to be assimilated into Babylonian culture. Um, They were given, in fact, new names. They were given new responsibilities. They were taught about new gods. The entire process was meant to drill into them an entirely new way of living and worshiping. Uh, their entire lives were changed. And what, what must it have been like to try and be worshipers of Yahweh in Babylon, surrounded by perhaps 500,000 people who know that your nation just got creamed and your God didn't save you? It's incredibly difficult to stand out as followers of God. And talk about how much pressure they were putting on these young men to change. Okay, like for example, these names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not their original names. They gave them new names when they arrived. All right? And these names were in honor of, of foreign gods. So Meshach, Meshach means, get this, who is like the moon god? <laughs> what, if, what if someone's like, no, 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 I know your name is Bob, but I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is like, who is like the moon god? 
wow, what message am I sending you about what I think about your faith? I mean, it'd be the equivalent of if I was like, hey, we're going to start nicknaming you Allah is fantastic or Krishna is the bomb. We're just going to start calling you that around here, okay? Like, how imposing is that on your faith? And yet that's what was going on. They were in a country surrounded by idols. They were forced to assimilate, but they would have a chance to stand for what they believed in. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. It's about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. This was a big group of people. And all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Number one. Write this down. Stand firm in your faith with courage and conviction. Stand firm in your faith with courage and conviction. We're going to camp on point one longer than the other point, so just relax. We're going to be on this point for a little while. The other points actually, in fact, just develop this first point. But here, these three men are now put in a predicament where it's either bow or burn. Bow down or burn to death right now. They're in a group that was really large. There was a sea of faces here. The satraps were basically like the king's cabinet. The prefects were the generals of the armed forces. The governors were the governors. The advisors were other bureaucrats. The treasurers, well, now you've got like the IRS and the treasury department showing up. The judges and the magistrates, now there's the chief justices and even the circuit court justices are showing up. And then it just says the other provincial officers, that could be state reps or whatever. Imagine everybody who serves in an official government capacity gathering in Washington for this giant convention. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people. A massive crowd. And it was in this context that they had to stand firm in their faith with courage and with conviction. It says here in verse 7, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon. I'm really fascinated by the, they mention the band a lot in this this passage today. Some of these instruments, there's like the, the, you know, there's the bagpipe. I kind of picture a Scottish guy there in a kilt, you know. Probably didn't look like that, but in my imagination, that's the way the story's going down. I don't even know what a trigon is. It sounds Klingon. Trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music. They've got, you know, like the Chicago Symphony Orchestra has gathered here to provide the music. And the way it was supposed to work is we play this patriotic religious song and then everybody bows down, okay? 
So, so today it would be like big political gathering, like a convention or whatever, and they play, a light, they play like maybe like Hail to the Chief or something. Okay, and, and you all know what you're supposed to do when the song plays, right? Right? So I'm going to cue the band over here, and here comes the patriotic song at the big patriotic festival, Hail to the Chief. And what are you supposed to do when you hear this song? Come on, you're supposed to get up. Come on, everybody stand up. The president is coming into the room. Some of you are not getting up. The president is going to be angry. All right, good, good. Go ahead and have a seat. That's, it's kind of, you know what to do, right? You hear the song, you get up. Uh, in this case, you're supposed to hear the song and fall down in front of this bright, blazing gold image. We don't know if it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself or if it was an image of one of his idols or a special image that was meant to just bring together all of his rule together, but it was probably on a big high base because 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide is really clunky for a person. But whatever it was, they were supposed to give it divine worship. So the choice was stand firm in your faith with courage and conviction or bow down. Now look at verse, in verse 7 it says that they all bowed down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Jot this down, the first sub-point here. Stand firm in your faith, even if everyone else is caving in. Even if everyone else is caving in. Many of you in this room right now, you know what it feels like to be the only one in your family who worships Christ. To be the only one in that classroom who believes what you do. To be the only one at your job who holds your convictions. You know that feeling all too well of feeling like the only one. And what a powerful and stunning image to picture every official in the land. This is everyone who was anyone. All on their faces, except three guys who were standing up. They were the only ones. Wow. Hey, ask yourself, are you willing to take a stand when you feel like you are the only one? Are you willing to take a stand for what you believe in? Oh, you're likely not going to be thrown in front of a fiery furnace and it's either bow or burn, Um, but you will feel the fire of persecution. Uh, You will feel it. It'll happen when a friend says to you, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. Will you take a stand to challenge what she has just said? And then will you endure what you get from that? It'll happen if your boss tells you you have to work Sunday mornings. Will you take a stand? Will you say, no, I've got better things, more important things to do? It'll happen when all of your friends are going to see a movie that's filled with sex scenes that you have no business watching as a child of God and you say, no, I'm not going to go see it. Then you tell them why. Will you take a stand? Will you take a stand when a hot guy asks you out? And Jesus means absolutely nothing to him. Will you tell him that you've already found the most important man in your life and you're looking for number two to step up? Will you tell him that? Will you tell him I don't date dead people? And then share the message of new life with him. Are you going to take a stand? Even if everyone else is caving in. Second sub-point, even when you feel tremendous pressure, jot that down. Even when you feel tremendous pressure. 
Verse 8 says, therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Here's what's going on here. Daniel told the king a dream he had. So Daniel and these three guys got major promotions overnight. They were subordinates, and then they became in charge of the guys who were kind of the local natives who had worked their way up the ladder all their lives. So now these foreigners had power over them, which, which what, what happened in their hearts? They got resentful and they started watching them and waiting for any chance, any chance to tattle, to tattle. Do you have people in your life who, the wreck they've made of their life, you could fill an encyclopedia with everything they've done wrong, but the moment you slip up, they are right there. Oh, a Christian says that naughty word and you're like, you've been watching for a long time, haven't you? You've been waiting for that moment and looking for This is what's going on here. They've just been stalking these guys and waiting for any opportunity to slam them. They're put under tremendous pressure. The word maliciously accused is very graphic. It means chewed them up. It literally could be read, they ate the pieces of them. They, They were eating this opportunity up and they wanted to devour these men. They maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, so they brought these men before the king. Boss ever having a bad day? Red-faced and foaming at the mouth? Has it been because of you? It's a bad day when it's the king who is furious toward you. They now feel tremendous pressure, but listen to what it says. The observations here, it says, King, they pay no attention to you. How many believers nervously nibble their fingernails worrying about what others think of them instead of staring up and worrying what God thinks of them? Around and around in your head you go, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they... When your eyes should be straight up and you should be paying no attention to them. It says they give no service to your gods. What's the big deal? Kneeling down, it's a small show of courtesy. It'll keep us out of trouble. It'll make the king happy. Is it really the end of the world? They offer no service to your gods. It also says that they offer no worship to your gods. Have you been caught offering even a small measure of worship to false gods? Telling someone who has a different faith than your own, well, you know, that's good for you. I just have my own thing. What have you done? You've offered some measure of worship to gods that the Bible says are no gods at all. They offer no worship to your gods. Now, you and I likely will not be pressured in this land to change the object of our worship. Not yet, anyway. There's really not going to be anybody who says, you need to stop worshiping that or stop worshiping in this way. Uh, Unlikely that that will be where the fire is directed in you. But 
but you will be pressured to change the content of your religious convictions, okay? You will be pressured to change the content of what comes from your religious convictions. Uh, Just try saying in the classroom, I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Narrow-minded bigot. Just try and say it. Just try and say the Bible has authority over all humanity. Every person who's ever lived in every nation falls under the authority of the Bible. Just try and say that. Says you. Just try and make a moral judgment on something. Like, just try and say, I believe abortion is murder. Way to infringe on women's rights. When you make truth claims and you share biblical convictions, you will feel tremendous pressure. You will feel the fire on your face by those who are ready around you to speak against your convictions. Stand firm in your faith with courage and conviction, even though everyone else is caving in, even when you feel tremendous pressure. Here's the third one. Even when it costs you something or everything. Even when it costs you something or everything. Reading on in verse 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every... He's really psyched about this band. Got the whole band here! I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to go over and hit the music again. To fall down and worship the image that I've made. Well, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. This is so dramatic. I picture the king walking over to the band. And then some dude over here opens the fiery furnace. Okay? Interesting thing happens. He says, but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Listen, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now Nebuchadnezzar made a big mistake. See, because he challenged the strength of God, claiming his power was greater than the power of their God. Based on what? Well, I took out your nation. I invaded your city and hauled off the first wave of exiles. I'm in control of your king. What can your God do to stop me? Such arrogance, such blind pride. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. King's about to hit the band for one last chance. And in one of the most incredible displays of firm conviction in the entire scripture, these three men say, no, no, we don't need another chance. Forget the trial. We're not afraid of you. March us up the hill. 
our God will deliver us. And you know what? Even if we're burned to death today, we will still not bow before your gods. Wow. What courage, what fearlessness, what resolve. Understand that many of your biblical convictions are infuriating to people around you. And they will turn up the heat as hot as possible to try and get you either to be quiet or to change what you believe. Um, I think one example of this is the president of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, made a statement uh, maybe a year or two ago in support of traditional marriage. In fairness, he also made a statement on a radio uh, broadcast about the judgment that will come on the wicked. Um, And if you have um, the courage to say in any context, humbly but with conviction, that homosexual behavior is morally wrong, you will face the fire. You will face the fire. There are people walking around preloaded with rage, looking for someone to vent upon, who believes what this book says about a moral choice. And um, I think President of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, just shows that that there is this firestorm directed toward anyone who they can find. You've got a picture. There's a Chick-fil-A coming to Chicago Ridge near the mall. And uh, here's the picture that was up as it was under construction. Somebody spray-painted in big black letters over the sign, Go away. Why? Because there's no room in their heart for our religious opinion on the matter. This is religious discrimination. Okay? Now, this is just public defacing of property, but there are other instances where people who get murderously angry take out their aggression on anyone they can find. Um, There's a group known as the Family Research Council in D.C., and uh, they stand in our capital um, representing uh, traditional marriage and bringing these views um, into our capital. Well, last August, a gunman entered their lobby with 100 bullets and a gun intending to kill everyone in the building. He found their name on a website that just listed people who held a conviction against Um, uh, gay marriage, and he decided that this is the one he's going to pick. He showed up with a gun with 100 bullets and a backpack filled with Chick-fil-A. He was going to murder everyone in the building and then smear Chick-fil-A on their dead faces to make a statement. This is the world we live in. This is the country we live in. Thank God that the security guard saw something, disarmed this man, got shot in the process and survived, and he's now going to jail. I'm not saying that this is the kind of person who you're going to be eye to eye with. I'm saying the feelings he feels, the rage he feels toward your convictions lives in the hearts of many people. And if you make a stand and if you express your opinion, you will feel it. It will cost you something. It could cost you everything. The question is not will you face the fire. The question is when you face the fire, will your faith shine brighter? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're ready. And so moving on to the second point, and these will come more quickly. Moving on to the second point, jot this down. God is present with you when you suffer for him. God is present with you when you suffer for him. Write that down. It says in verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Sometimes I like to cast these characters in my own mind to get a better idea of how this went down. I decided to pick two of of the toughest people who I ever 
uh, saw in my generation. I wanted to pick like WWF tag team wrestlers who made an impression on me as a child. So playing the part of these two mighty men, throwing them in the furnace, are the pro wrestlers. Um, these are the road warriors, Hawk and Animal. Do you remember them? The road warriors. Kind of imagining what it would feel like for them to pick me up and march me up a hill intending to throw me inside a two-story giant burning furnace. You can pick whoever you want to play the part. They're playing the part in my head. And up they go. Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This is so cool. What's it like to be picked up and carried by these giant, strong, hulking men and heaved into this fire? And, and you know they scream. They're like, ah! They land, and the floor is like red, hot, glowing coals. And they're just like, oh, wow, let's get away in a minute. We're okay. Hey, look, my hands are free. The only thing that burned was the ropes that tied them up. And they get up and they're like, this is, we're alive. We're, and then they realize someone else is in there with them. Hey, Abednego, there's somebody else here. This is one of the coolest moments in the whole Bible. They're looking at fire all around them and they're like, this is like, hey, check me out. Look, I'm breathing fire. I'm throwing it. I'm walking on coal. It says they were walking around in there. And then they're like, who are you? Scholars have different opinions on who this is, but I think the best case can be made that this is a pre-incarnate form of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine that. Up in heaven, Jesus is getting ready to come down, and the angels are like, no, no, it's not Christmas time yet. And he's like, no, I'm going in. Just for a short time, three of my guys are going into the fire, and I'm going in with them. And because... This angel of the Lord, because Jesus was standing in their presence, the fire could do no harm to them. How strong is God to protect you when the fire of persecution comes on you? How closely does he stand by you when those who you're trying to reach are ridiculing you? He may feel like he's a million miles away and you may feel like you're alone, but he is right there even when you can't see him. God is present with you when you suffer for him. Stand firm in your faith with courage and conviction because God is present with you. Isaiah 43.2 predicted, this is a literal fulfillment of this, it says halfway down, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Notice that Jesus didn't step in three seconds sooner Then the Lord Jesus descended at the top of the hill before they were thrown in and picked up the road warriors and tossed them in the furnace. No, no. He waits till they're in the fire. He waits till Jonah is in the whale. He waits till Joseph has been in jail for years. 
He waits till Abraham has the knife up in the air. He waits till Jesus has been on the cross and thrown in a tomb for two days. He, for three days. He waits. He waits. He waits. Which is why you're going to have to endure. The persecution that comes into your life, you're going to have to patiently endure knowing that he is right there with you. Here's number three. Write this down. God will use you to serve a bigger purpose. God will use you to serve a bigger purpose. Look at verse 27. Well, verse 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. I like that. Come out and come here. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, no, you come in. You put us in here, you come get us out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the, all the tattletales, the king's counselors, gathered together, saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies. Hey, you even get a nasty sunburn, and you know what a burn feels like, let alone a first, second, or third degree burn. They should have been charred to a crisp, and it didn't touch their bodies. It said the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. Even their clothes became fireproof because Christ was there. And no smell of fire had come upon them. It was total protection. They didn't even smell as if they had been close to the fire. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, listen to this. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. Man, your most angry oppressor, the person who disagrees with you most, God can save them. God can reach them. God can convince them. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. You mess with the Israelites who are in exile, I'm making it a decree that you'll be torn apart, and a public official will show up after your funeral and bulldoze your house to the ground. God used the faithful witness of these three men to protect his people as he had them in exile for a time. Wow. That's not all that happened. Verse 30, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God will use you to serve a bigger purpose. He will use you. The king of the world was dazzled and put in his place. Notice that his soldiers died while the servants of God lived. Who's the stronger one? God was greatly glorified and his people were emboldened and they were protected. The truth is, if you stand firm, others will respect your convictions. If you shrink back, others will lose respect for your convictions. Here the fourth point we see is this. God will bless your faithfulness. God will bless your faithfulness. They were promoted in this life. They were entered into the Bible in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They were mentioned as those who passed through the fire in the hall of faith. God honored these men for their courage. Don't believe the lie that I'm suffering all this for nothing. I'm going through this for nothing. I'm enduring this for nothing. No, God is taking note of everything that you are suffering. 
you won't regret a minute of it in the next life. God may even see fit to promote you in this life in some way. 1 Peter 4.12-14 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Finally, Psalm 34, 19. I love this verse. Many, not few, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You know that God promises to stand by you, to see you safely through any persecution. You know that the Bible says even death, even death is a rescue. The Apostle Paul said, the Lord will stand by my side or he'll deliver me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Death is nothing but the doorman welcoming believers into paradise. Even death is a rescue. God promises to see you through every trial. Will you have faith? Will you have courage? Will the fire make your faith shine brighter? I want you to use this moment right now to resolve in your heart that when the time comes, when the chance presents itself, you will share the truth about Christ. You will share your biblical convictions. You will take whatever persecution comes because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I believe that you will use people in this room to reach those who you love. And you will use the trials that come into their life to get the attention of those around them. You will stand with them. Father, my prayer is that you would give them tremendous courage to speak humbly, lovingly, but truthfully and passionately to those who you want to save. Father, we bring the good news only the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver. Jesus, only you can see us through the fiery trials of this life. Only you can deliver us from the eternal fires of the next life. We believe this. Help us to share this truth with those who are in peril of being apart from you forever. Through our courage, may others be convinced. We don't trust our own strength of faith. We don't trust our own level of determination. We trust you to be near us. You are our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.